This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for Sunday, October 4th, 2015. The Gospel is taken from the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 2 through 16. The message is by Father Ron Baird. You know how Paul had a thorn in his side that he kept asking God to, to remove from him and then God would never remove it? This one's mine. Every year, right around my birthday, we have this lesson. Because it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, so we read it every year at the same time. <coughs> you should, and, I, and I really don't like preaching on divorce in my, on my birthday. It's not fun. And plus, it's too personal. Um, the Pharisees had come, and they wanted to test Jesus. So they asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, they knew the answer is yes. It says right in Deuteronomy that if a man wants to divorce his wife, he just has to make it legal. He has to fill out official paperwork and do all that and get it filed so everybody knows it. Um, but of course it's legal. Now, what's interesting is it wasn't legal for a woman to divorce her husband. It was only legal for the man to divorce her wife. He was divorce his wife. Um, and divorce was fairly commonplace even in those days um, in both uh, Jewish culture, but also in Greek culture and in Roman culture. So you know, most of the known world at that time, um, divorce was pretty commonplace. And so Jesus then throws a monkey wrench into the works. You know, usually when he asks people what Moses said or what the law says about something, he agrees with them. This time he, he throws it, turns it around. He goes, it wasn't so from the beginning. It's because of your hardness of heart that God gave you this law. Well, where did this hardness of heart stuff come from? What's he talking about? That it wasn't so from the beginning, but it was because they were hard of heart that God gave them the law. Well, part of the clue is he goes on to quote Genesis. How he created them male and female. And that the two, um, a man shall leave his mother and father and join with his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Therefore what God has put together and let no one put asunder. In the Garden of Eden, there was never meant to be any divorce. Um, why would that be? What if Adam and Eve hadn't liked each other? They were stuck? Hmm? There were only two, yeah. Well, that's part of it. Um, but part of it was there was no sin. Because they, they hadn't fallen yet. You know, that came after they ate off of that tree. And so in a non-sinful world, nobody would get divorced, would they? I mean, nobody ever sinned, why would you get divorced? There'd be no reason for it. And it was only when sin came into the world that these things began to happen. And that's why he said, because of your hardness of heart, because sin had entered into our hearts and corrupted it. Um, now, the disciples were as puzzled about this as anybody. So when they get him back to the house, they were nice. They didn't ask him these things in public. <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, these, the law says you can do it, but it sounds like you were saying it wasn't, you know, you shouldn't do it. And he goes, you know, you need to understand something. Anybody who gets a divorce and marries someone else commits adultery. You know, and adultery is one of the big ten, right? That's bad. <laughs> and so he said, it, it, it's, it's not good for them to do. Now what churches have done with this is really interesting to me. Um, you have sort of a variety of views on it. One, if you get to really, really conservative Protestant churches, you know, fundamentalist churches, they will tell you that anybody who is divorced and remarried can't even be a member of the church. They have to be kicked out. Um, 
some of the Protestant churches, which are very conservative, but are much have exceptions for that, and the exceptions are listed in the Bible. That if um, if uh, the husband or wife commits adultery, then you can get a divorce and remarry. Or if um, you're married to a young unbeliever, you know, a pagan, and they want to leave, you can let them go and then be free to remarry. But other than that, pretty much nothing. I've always wondered about these churches. Is so basically what you're saying is that if if a wife has a husband who beats her, she's stuck. Now what they would say is no, not really, because it's it's not. She can get a divorce. That'd be okay. <laughs> I'm thinking there's something wrong with this picture already. Um, but but they said but she can't ever get married again. You know, and I'm thinking isn't that kind of like punishing the victim? You know, in that. So it never made much sense. Now the Roman Catholic Church, which everybody thinks is terribly strict on the subject, is actually not as strict as a lot of Protestant churches are on it. Because uh, although they do tell you you cannot take communion if you divorced and remarried, um, they don't prohibit you from coming to church. <laughs> you know, they say you're not allowed in here. And the reason they won't let you take communion is because you are not in a state of grace, um, because you haven't repented of your sin. And so until you're, you're repented of your sin, then you can't take communion. Um, but you're allowed to come still. They don't kick you out of the church as a result of it. Which is what the Pope, by the way, meant a while back when he said that, um, that divorce was not an excommunicatable offense. Um, we, mean, we don't kick people out of the church for it. But it brings up a, a big issue in our country, doesn't it? About how many people here know somebody that's been divorced? You know, a lot of us. Now, most of you know, I don't, some of you might know. I've been divorced twice before. Um, so if you want to know how not to be married, I can explain that to you. I'm really good at it. Um, it took me a long time um, to learn about how not to do that. And God blessed me um, to realize what the secret of marriage was and also brought me a wonderful woman who also shared that. And um, we've been married for over 21 years now. Um, there are a lot of churches that one wouldn't let me be a member, much less and very few churches would ever let me be a clergy in it. You know? Because we all know that divorce and remarriage is the unforgivable sin. You know, nobody can forgive that. So what should we do if our sons or daughters or parents or what do we do when they get divorced? Or we just say, you're, you're, you're bad. <laughs> your, your spoiled goods go away. I mean, is that what we're supposed to do with these people? Well, that doesn't sound very much like Jesus. And yet they point this very passage to try to say, well, they're living in adultery. That's a terrible thing. Now, what I do have to tell you is that, yes, it is adultery. There's no doubt about it. God did not intend for this to be the way it was. I mean, he intended for a lifelong union uh, that was between a man and a woman. He didn't want divorce. He didn't like divorce. As a matter of fact, in Malachi, he says he hates divorce. And the truth is, is if you ask anybody who's been divorced, my guess is they're going to tell you, I wouldn't recommend it. It's bad. It's not fun. <laughs> it hurts. It hurts really bad. And it's expensive, which is part of the pain, but, but it's like ripping yourself in half or something. I mean, it's really, because nobody gets married thinking, well, I can't wait till I get divorced. I mean, who would do that? That'd be crazy. Um, I suppose we live in such a weird world. There are probably some people out there who are crazy enough to think, well, when I get done with this one, I'll ditch them and get another one, because <laughs> there are weird people out there. But not most people. Most people are broken and hurt when they're divorced. And what they really need is healing, not judgment. You know, and yet, too often, the church has been known as being a judge of people. Now, in some churches, they don't do that. They just, 
and, and most church people don't do that. It's interesting, even at very you know, Catholic or Protestant churches. When most people get divorced, we go, oh, that's too bad. But we act like it's none of our business. But the truth is, is that it is our business. Because it's not healthy for the person. If you care about an individual, why would you not care that they were going through this? Why would you not care that they were hurting? You know, it's possible to care about somebody and not be judgmental about them. And yet, what we have in our society is an interesting rule. There's a rule about who is, who is the injured party in, in a divorce. Do you all know what the rule is? Nope. The universal rule, everybody does it. Nope, not the wife. Whoever I want to stay friends with, <laughs> that person is injured. And I have literally talked to people who said, he cheated on me, and so I'm justified in doing this. And I had people tell me that they knew someone, well, he cheated on her, so what would you expect from her anyway? And then I've had other people say, well, well, he was the one that was cheating on her, but quite honestly, if I was married to her, I'd cheat on her too. <laughs> so I've always found that the real rule is, who do I want to stay friends with? Because they're the wrong party in the whole thing. But, and, and we've actually come up with an interesting term in our society, no-fault divorce. Now think about that. Isn't that the biggest oxymoron you ever heard in your life? <laughs> We're getting a divorce, and it's nobody's fault. Then why are you getting divorced? I mean, if there's not a fault involved, I mean, it sounds like everything's fine. It would be kind of dumb, wouldn't it? And yet, what we don't want to say is that in truth, in any breakup of any relationship, both sides are at fault. Always. Now, you might say some are more than others, but nobody ever holds to their marriage vows perfectly. You remember what you promised in the marriage vows? It was that you would love, honor, and cherish. Guys, how many of you all cherished your wife this morning? <laughs> well, good. How many of you uh, showed her honor this morning? Mm. Not necessarily. <laughs> I mean, essentially, we break the vows all the time, almost every day, really. But... We go, well, we're only human. But the truth is, is that it starts off with a little breaking of those vows. And if it goes far enough, then it starts becoming major breaking of the vows. And people begin to feel disrespected, unloved, uncared for, unimportant. And who wants to stay in a marriage where they feel that way? I mean, it wouldn't be fun, would it? And that's how marriages end up dying. But, you know, and people want to say that, you know, well, you know, they cheated on her or something. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't know many men who get up in the morning and think, you know, my wife worships the ground I walk on. She loves me so dearly. She, she cherishes everything that I say. She hangs on my every word. I mean, she honors me. If anybody attacks me, she backs me up constantly. She's always building me up. And I think I need to go have an affair. And people don't do that. That wouldn't be logical. So there's always two sides to this, and there's always brokenness on both sides. So what's Jesus trying to tell us in this lesson? One is that divorce is really bad. And if, you've, if you're married and you've not been divorced, or if you hope to get married someday, I highly recommend against it. I mean, nobody, nobody wins except for the attorneys. <laughs> they always win. It's, it's a bad thing to get involved with. But if you've been divorced and, and get remarried, then you need to realize that it's not an unforgivable sin. 
if God can forgive murderers like St. Paul, then he can certainly forgive this. Matter of fact, we have evidence of it. Do you remember the story of David and Bathsheba? Bathsheba's nice young looking filly taking a bath on the roof. Um, David's watching her and thinking, boy, she's really nice. So he brings her, has somebody sends for her, has somebody come over. They end up having an affair. Well, then she comes to him one day and says, I'm going to have a baby. And he's like, whoa. He goes, you're married. And she goes, yeah, I know. So he says, what am I going to do? So he, he finally says, here's what I'm going to I'm going to get her husband to come back. He's in the army. I'm going to bring him back. And then I'll tell him to go home, stay with his wife. Once plausible deniability. <laughs> so he does that, except that Uriah, who's a Hittite, doesn't really cooperate. Instead, he sits outside the gate and doesn't go anywhere. And David goes, what's the matter with this idiot? <laughs> here he has a chance to get out of the field and go be with his wife. He's sitting out here. So the next night he gets him drunk, thinking, surely that'll work. Doesn't work. So the next day he comes up with a better plan. He writes a note, puts a seal on it so it can't be opened, and says, give this to the commander when you get back. And it says, in the morning after you get this, attack the city wall and put Uriah in front of everybody. Now, why did he do that? He wanted him killed. So now he got adultery and murder, right? <laughs> He's really racking them up. So he marries Bathsheba, and then um, they're, you know, she's going to have the baby. But then uh, God gets involved, and God sends the prophet Nathan in. And Nathan comes up, and he tells him a story about this guy who had a whole flock of sheep and stuff. And, but he was having guests for dinner, and he, he didn't want to use any of his sheep. But his neighbor, who was poor, only had one little ewe lamb. And so he sends somebody to go get, steal the ewe lamb and take it away from him because he could. And, and so he did. And David is furious. With him. Who would do this? Tell me who this man is. He deserves to die. And Nathan says, you are that man. Because you took Uriah's wife. And you had him killed. And what does David do? They say, tough. They say, I had to. I didn't have any choice. You don't know what the guy was like. I loved it. Anybody seen King David with uh, Richard Gere? They changed the Bible. I always love it when people clean up the Bible. And that one, um, David does it because Uriah's a wife beater. <laughs> it's always amazing. It's not in the story. But, um, but what does David do? He rips his garment and says, I have sinned before the Lord, my God, and my people. And he doesn't just do that. He puts on sackcloth, burlap, which isn't very comfortable, by the way, and takes ashes and dumps them on his head so he's all dirty and sooty. And he walks around that way for months to repent of what he's done, how horrible it is. Now, Nathan had told him the child would not, he, would, he couldn't have a child out of such a thing. He wouldn't let, God wouldn't reward him that way. And the child is born, stillborn. God took him home. But what does David do then? Y'all don't know this story? Hmm? Cleans up, puts back on his kingly robes and all, and he and Bathsheba go on having a great life, and she's his favorite wife. And what's interesting about it is Bathsheba does end up having a son. Does anybody know who Bathsheba's son was? Solomon, the greatest king Israel's ever had. So did God say, that's it, David, you're out? <laughs> no. 
But what he did say is, David, it's time for you to straighten up. We're not doing this stuff anymore. Are there any stories of David doing anything like that again? No, he repented. But he did two things in that. He repented publicly. So if you've been through that, acknowledge what your fault is. And it's important for you to do that. It's important for you to do it publicly because divorce isn't just somebody else's fault. And the truth is, and I can tell you this from experience, that if you don't figure out what you did wrong, what your part in it was, you'll do it again, (laughs) which is really dumb. So don't do that. But if you will do that and then publicly repent of it and confess it, God can forgive you and give you a new life because you're a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. You can become clean again. And so in your new marriage, what should you do? You should live it as a godly marriage. Well, what does that look like? Well, what it looks like is something very simple. This is the secret, by the way, in case you don't know. Most people get married because of what? Yeah, because of how they feel about each other. Now, that goes away, by the way. Um, and, or how good-looking they are or something. And I always love that one, because how many hundred-year-old people have you seen that were good-looking? I mean, there's not that very many of them. But, um, but what's interesting about it is, is that it's when you put Jesus as the head of your house and put Jesus as the decider in your family that suddenly your marriage has a chance. I used to tell the story a long time ago when it was going on, actually. My son loved it. He was little then. Um, I decided, we've been married for a while. John had been born. And um, I decided that I really believed that God wanted me to have a big screen TV. Because I, I worked hard a lot. I worked a lot of hours. And I, and I, loved, I loved football. And it was going to be great to watch. And so I went to Judy and said, you know, I've been praying about this. And I think that God wants me to have a big screen TV. You know, and I gave her all the great reasons why that was going to happen. And she said, have God get in touch with me. <laughs> now, we made an agreement a long time ago that we wouldn't um, try to overrule each other. What do you think would have happened if I'd just gone and bought the TV? <laughs> it wouldn't have been, what would have happened if I'd, I'd been mad at her and punished her because of it somehow, you know, by not speaking to her or, or being mean to her? It wouldn't be good things. It would have been bad. And that's what happens a lot of marriages. Power struggles go on. But we had committed to let Jesus be the one who would decide if we were in disagreement. And so I said, would you at least pray about it? <laughs> so, okay, I'll pray about it. Well, months went on, and I'm praying to God to open her heart to the truth. Um, <laughs> I don't know what she was doing. I was afraid to ask. Um, so I just kind of let it go. And I don't, Judy says it was like five months or something. Seems to me like it was five years, but do you remember how long it was? It was a long time. It was a long, long time. She comes to me one day and huh? But I, but I was preaching about it in the sense of that God would have to decide it, otherwise I wouldn't get in the TV. Um, and she comes to me one day and says, you know, I didn't pray. I think God does want you to have his big screen TV. And I went, Really? <laughs> Well, that was part of the problem, actually, but <laughs> it didn't fit. So I had to shrink my TV to fit into what we had. But, um, no, I couldn't even get it out of the cabinet. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, she says, that thing's not hanging on my wall. <laughs> but the, the real point in that is that God was at 
the center of it. And, and we waited upon the Lord. Now, he might well have never said that. It could have been a, a pipe dream of mine, you know, that I just dreamed up. That does happen on occasion. Um, but the difference was, was that I never thought she won't let me have it. It never got to be that kind of struggle because Christ is the center of our life and our marriage. And that's how you have a marriage that lasts for a lifetime. Because the truth is, is that if you are married very long, you will do things to hurt each other. It always happens. There is no way um, that anybody can go through life and never do anything that hurts the other person. You know, not if you live together. And the truth is, is that marriage isn't based upon how you feel. It's based upon how you can forgive. And while you can forgive a few of those, they get real irritating when they happen over and over again. Have you noticed that? Don't you hate it when they keep doing the same thing? It just drives you crazy. And eventually you get to where you're not so forgiving anymore. But Jesus is always forgiving. And so if he's in charge, then forgiveness becomes the order of the day. And you truly can have a marriage that lasts for life. But only if he's in charge. Or if you're real lucky. So... What do we do with these people who've been divorced and remarried? Was Jesus saying, kick them out? Nope. Was he saying, treat them like second-class citizens or spoiled goods? Nope. What he was saying is, was he saying, tell them don't worry about it? No big deal, everybody does it? Nope. What he was saying is, we need to be held accountable. Just like he held the Samaritan woman at the well. Remember he told her to go get her husband? And she said, I don't have a husband. He said, no, you've had five of them. And the guy you're shacked up with now isn't your husband. Or the woman caught in adultery that they wanted to throw rocks at. Remember her? And he said, where are your accusers? And she honestly said, oh, you're the only one left. And he said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. See, our God is a God of new life and new beginnings. But not just to go back and do the same thing over and over again. He's a God of new life in which you become a new creation and the old has passed away. But that can only happen if you surrender to him. Last thing. At the end of the story, we, we hear, we, he gives us a great object lesson on what this is like. It said that some parents were bringing their kids to have him bless them and touch them. And the disciples didn't want him bothered, so they were shooing him away. And Jesus said, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't stop them from coming to me. He was smart. He knew the kids were nicer. Um, but so they let the kids in, and the kids all come running up, and he takes them, one of them, and he, and he takes them in his arms, and he says, for such as these belongs the kingdom of God. And I tell you that if you don't enter the kingdom of God like a little child, you can't get in at all. Now, what was he talking about? What is it that a little child has that adults never have? Hmm? Something really different. It's innocence. And you see, as we grow up, we lose our innocence, don't we? We're no longer innocent. And the reason that it's important to recapture that is twofold. One is that it is a cruel thing to bring an innocent being into the world, into a place where the mother and father are not mutually supporting one another and having Christ as the center of their life, and that forgiveness isn't the order of the day. Because they grow up in a very corrupted place. We see evidence of that all around us. I mean, part of it's probably mental illness and chemical imbalance, but it's not by accident that suddenly we're seeing all these mass killings everywhere. I mean, 
there's just nobody who can love these people. You know, there's no way for them to be rehabilitated or helped. Because everybody's too busy doing their own thing rather than doing God's thing. The other thing about it is that the children can teach us the innocence again. How many of y'all like to be Mac three years old again? Would like to be three years old? I would. I'd love to be three years old. Three years old's wonderful. Because you don't have much control over everything, but you don't want much anyway. <laughs> and you just do what you do, and you don't worry about it. When you're happy, you laugh. When you're mad, you fume. And when you're sad, you cry. And it's just the way life is. It's only later that we lose that innocence. And all of us could learn again, because we all want to get into the kingdom of God. Amen. You have been listening to Come and See. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to Come and See.